0: I have sought very diligently to... To be kind of a close-minded fool when it comes to evolution? I have sought very diligently to... Oh,
1: to, um, to pretend that you have direct communication with Jesus when you're really just an amateur antiquarian who loves connecting obscure Mormon gospel-sized dots and saying, here's reality, this, it can't be anything else, that, that?
0: I have sought very diligently to...
1: Okay, to be so clear about what you intend to denounce that no one at BYU will doubt or even question or ever Deign to change either the specific words that you use or the overall message that you're gonna deliver, is that
2: is that
0: to be given utterance and have the guidance of the Spirit tonight in what I hope I will be able to say to you. Oh boy, was um, oh I was off. Okay. All right. I want to state temperately and accurately the views that I have. And say them in a way that uh, will not leave room for doubt or for question. Good luck with that. Now let me list some axioms. I guess in academic circles, we'd call these caveats. Did you just say caveats? Uh,
1: Okay, let me just put you out of your misery right here, right now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This is Infants on Thrones. The philosophies of men mingled with
1: humans.
2: We are at the core.
0: There is a song. Or a dance. Or a saying. Or a phrase. Or a proverb. Or a riddle. Or a legend or a tradition
1: or something. A, a bumper sticker, um, a fortune cookie, like the things inside of a fortune cookie like a Laffy Taffy rapper? I I don't know. I'm just trying to help you out here.
0: That speaks of seven deadly sins. Oh, you
1: mean the capital vices or cardinal sins that became like a major part of Christian teachings for centuries? Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath,
0: envy, pride. Those seven deadly sins? I know nothing whatever about these and hope you do not. Well, sorry to disappoint you, Bruce. I've
1: got, uh university education and wikipedia so welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland that was bruce r and today we're going to do part two of the seven deadly heresies We've got John Hamer returning from part one, Bob Caswell returning from part one, and Mike Tannehill is joining us today. I I was expecting a yay for that, but um, okay, that's fine. Uh, Yeah, so we're just going to pick up where we left off. We're covering uh, Seven Deadly Heresy Number 2 on this episode, and it's a fun discussion. So come support us on Patreon, please. I'd love for you to support us on Patreon. And now... Here's our
3: discussion. I love that last one where you did the question-answer thing with McConkie.
1: Yeah, what you, you like about
3: it? <laughs> you read the BYU one where they changed it, and then yeah. what he actually said and went back and forth. That was fantastic.
1: Yeah? I so what, really like, enjoyed that. Do, do, do you have any like um, insights as to who... Who was doing that on the BYU side? Because I, I imagine, especially you listening to that, would be like, that's not what McConkie's saying.
3: I went to the... I, I called them the next day after you brought that to my attention, like how much it changed. You called who? BYU. <laughs> really? And they didn't <laughs> did return call my call. <laughs> really?
1: Did, did you not tell them that it was Mike Tannehill?
3: <laughs> no. <laughs> I just, I went through the steps. I said, who's in charge of this? Who do, who do I need to talk to? And they said, I'll give you their number. So I got their number and I called them and left a message and they wouldn't call me back. Who was it? Uh, they just said, this is our manager, whatever. They had to give me a name. Okay. So it probably
1: wasn't even the person that did it back in 1980 or whenever it was. It was just.
3: Has it been that long since they changed all of them to questions? I don't know when they did it. I I, did, I, I know before I'd read it. I I usually just, I've heard it a hundred times. I used to play it on my phone all the time, but I never actually sat and compared what they wrote down. And that that's a huge change. There's some massive
1: changes. And, and uh, you know, so that, that section that you're talking about where they're talking about evolution, that's actually the second heresy, which we didn't get to in our first discussion, but we'll cover tonight. So we'll, we'll talk. Yeah. I think you touched on it a little last time, didn't you? On, only in the sense that I included that part of the recording, but our discussion, oh, like as far as doing the okay. SmackDown, we never got past the first heresy. <laughs> hey John. Hi. So, so John, have you and Mike had interaction before? Like online and in and, and chat forums and things like that? Or is this your first
4: time? interacting with Mike. You'll have to tell me, Mike, do we have weed done?
3: I don't think, I mean, I know we're friends on Facebook and we've talked, but I don't know that we ever did.
1: We haven't been on an episode together before. Well, no, well not I on episodes, so. but just like in chat rooms and stuff. Cause Mike, what, what, what's your, your, your gazellum, right?
3: Yeah. Way back when,
1: way back when, and what were you, John? Did, did, were, did you have a handle or were you just John Hamer? <laughs>
4: uh, so, well, <laughs> i mean things that, from like ancient past you know, yeah like like 15 years ago, <laughs> years ago
3: 2006
4: yeah. yeah when the when now we know 2001 um uh the first the first name i had on org was Philastus. oh i was never on that board yeah so anyway and then that was um and I had that on uh board. Is, is, that,
1: is that a nod to uh oh,
4: what's the guy's name? Dr. Philastus Hurlbut.
1: <laughs> Hurlbut. Yeah, they did all the affidavits for
4: the uh yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so he's a relative of mine. Yeah. So I'm related to the original Dr. Philastus Hurlbut. My um my great 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 uh great grandfather, uh Stephen Winchester, his son, Benjamin Winchester, wrote the the, uh, original, um, Smackdown, um, official Smackdown of Hurlbut <laughs> from the church. <laughs> and he said, and so when he wrote that, he says, uh, DP Hurlbut, a cousin of mine has written all this stuff, you know? And so mm. anyway, so as a result of that, and then also because, um, that's all related to the Spalding stuff, yeah, right. Which I've taken as a special, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a special calling to smack down the balding myth, you know? Yeah. And so anyway, and do, so that was where I, good job I, of it. Yeah. So that's where I had that name, but that was way back when everybody had aliases right at the beginning of bulletin boards or whatever it was,
1: which is the perfect time to bring Bob in. Cause you were part of all that too. Right. What, what was your, uh, what, what do you call it? Your handle?
5: Your, your, alias your avatar <laughs> i was bob caswell oh man <laughs> from the beginning I'm, I'm mr transparent i like owning my identity and just owning up to it so if you see stuff for me that's written 10 years ago uh well you know people change and stuff but uh, that's me what's what's Kazzy d though Cassie d is, oh, is that just true. on reddit that's on Reddit. Yeah. I use that some places. Hey, you're calling me out. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, am. I am Kazzy D as well. That was a nickname I got on my mission. Cassie D is in the house. It doesn't sound as good anymore, but it was really like, Oh, from Caswell. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've never, I never understood where the Cassie D was. What's the D it's just, you know, cause I'm like a DJ. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what i was called on my mission and we thought it was so clever and by we i didn't come up with it other missionaries and then i just sort of leaned into it i'm like cool that's what that's how to be cool i'm cool i love it nice <laughs> and it stuck what about you did you have a handle glenn no i didn't do that
1: oh no i like i i had i i had a website that was like d glenn Ostlin's missionary folklore website um, in like <laughs> 1997 or something, like it was very, very early. Um, and that lasted until like 99 or 2000. And then I let the domain expire, uh, which was like mormon or something. Oh, and that's not bad. That's pretty good. I know. I shouldn't have let it expire.
4: Yeah. yeah back then, back then I had cultural Yeah.
1: Oh,
4: but I let that and, and then I, because there wasn't I a lot did, of interest like, actually in being culturally Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> so, there was the idea was can you have cultural Mormons on the same kind of model as being culturally Catholic or especially culturally Jewish? Hmm. And the answer kind of was no, because all of the people who uh, were ex Mormon didn't actually like being associated, you know? So they, anyway.
5: yeah. So you figured that out like 10 years before John DeLynn tried to take five years to figure it out. Got it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I say that so with love, have, have you have you been on episodes before with Mike? You have, right? Oh, yeah,
5: we did, the, we did yeah. like the Hell House episode together way back in the day. We did, oh. and then we we also did another one where we talked about Satan, the unintentional racists. <laughs> okay. If you remember correctly, um, that refers to Mike. I feel like I need to give him a chance to explain, but that's just what we titled it.
1: Um. You know, I, I think I'm going to do some throwback Fridays before I release this one just to reacquaint today's audience with, with Mike Tannehill because it's been a while.
5: <laughs> yeah, and you remember we also did a cleaned up version of that one too. Um, yeah, that was Jake and Erica's. Yeah, uh, like you guys swear it. too much. <laughs> right? My, yeah. Mike makes just as little or as much sense without the swearing and maybe other people will listen to it. <laughs> So,
1: so, Mike, Mike, what have you been up to since the last time you were on Infants on Thrones?
3: Oh, geez, what was the last one? That one or the Noah one? Was no, we one did a, we this? did a
1: devil one. We we did we did one around Halloween, like maybe I don't know, four years ago, five years ago, that was about the devil.
3: And, I have, I have uh, no memory of that one.
1: Yeah, it wasn't very good. That's why we decided. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> done with Mike. Hey. I liked the unintentional races. I, I that. That yeah, I one. was voting for you, Mike, but Bob was like, no, I'm not going to do
5: It's all me, right? I'm the most difficult one when it comes to Mike. Not Randy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, Randy. Oh,
3: I'm full of ring rust now. I haven't... What's that? I'm, I'm full of ring rust now. I'm not really... Uh... I'm sure how good i'll be tonight
1: so huh. well that's an encouraging way to start so um, <laughs> tell, tell us this mike i i remember when when uh, we when, when those uh, uh essays came out on lds.org you were not happy with it. which one was it was it the priesthood one yes
3: and yeah,
1: and, that, that. and it was like th- there was stuff in there that was like language about social justice or things like that that you thought that the church was going way too like liberal, well, is that what it was?
3: Yeah, just flat out, it was it was just flat out lies. I mean, <laughs> how do you how do you uh, denigrate press prophets, opposite scripture? Uh, well, how many more things can be wrong? And then you took uh, you took that to
1: like your state president and what, what whatever happened with that?
3: Uh, let's see, what was it? Three bishops, two state presidents and two members of the seventy.
1: And a partridge in a pear tree. Wow.
3: (laughs) And, uh, I I was told, yeah, I'm right, but we don't question the brethren. So move on with their life. How did that feel? Uh, It's probably why I haven't done any podcasting in four years.
5: Really? You think that's, that's the reason? I mean, Uh, that's not our fault. That's their fault. (laughs) right?
3: (laughs) That's just where it is and there's nothing I can do about it. And that's, all there is to
5: it do you do you subscribe to the like maybe private versus public version of mormonism i mean may, maybe there's something to that in in the in the sense that the mormon church is in, is between a rock and a hard place it's trying to it's trying to be mainstream but peculiar at the same time and so they have to do one in one forum and the other in the other forum do you think that's a good enough excuse or no
3: I I think it makes you miss people like McConkie who just laid it out on the line and dealt with it as it it handed.
1: That (laughs) was a skillful segue and dodge, you know, both (laughs) at the same time. That was really, really good. You're not as rusty as you think. You're good. (laughs) (laughs) So, so let, let, let me ask you then about McConkie because wasn't uh, Joseph McConkie your mission president and and you've got kind of like a special or McConkie holds a special place in your heart. Is that right?
3: right yeah he, he, uh, he was every bit the man his father was yeah uh, and and you just every time you hear him speak you just take notes and and it just open the gospel up and and it's just amazing
5: so would you but would you take notes just because you were afraid that they'd change it when they released the notes later or <laughs> <laughs> or, or for your That's own funny. edification <laughs> sorry
3: <laughs> <laughs> on my own edification got it cool uh, yeah. I, try, I try the best I can. I, I mean, there's books and there's videos and, and audio of him. So now that he's passed away, you can go back and, and uh, get a taste of what it was like. So. Mm.
5: Do you still like uh, Mormon doctrine? Do you still have a copy? Oh, I got multiple copies. Oh, nice. Hopefully
3: one of these days I'll get the original.
5: Oh, the, the pre-Catholic Church is no longer the abomination of or the horror of all the earth or whatever the change was. Right. That, <laughs>
3: should have bought one of those a long time ago but (laughs) i haven't got around to it so all right so so
1: you listened to uh the the part one where we really only covered the introduction and the first heresy um what what were your thoughts as you listened to that
3: mike uh somebody was talking about the uh i I wish there were steps so that we could progress or something like that and i I, I noted that was was it randy that said that Yeah, that that, that
5: jumping from this life straight to the next um, is way too easy.
3: Yeah, I'm thinking that we already have steps that are already laid out to us. It's faith, repentance, baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and the covenants after that. The the steps are already laid out. I don't know what he's talking about in any steps. But
5: you can do all those pretty quickly. And then you got like 40 years of life where it's more complicated after you just like check the boxes, right?
3: Well, no, because that after that, that's what the gift of the Holy ghost does. It's continually refining you and continually telling you how to change and and the next step to take. And that's the trick. You're supposed to learn the trick of revelation.
5: That doesn't conflict with the other revelation that you subscribe to. Right.
3: Uh, What do you mean?
5: Well, you can't have revelation that's different than what the brethren have as revelation. So whatever you think you're getting, it's only as good as it stacks up against what they receive, right?
3: Well, yeah, that's what you get the iron rod of the scriptures for. And then you can tell the difference. Or it helps you anyway.
1: All right. All right. I'm sorry, Glenn. Back to you. Oh, that's <laughs> all right. You know, I mean, to to that point, I mean, I I I, I think one of the things that Mike was responding to was... Um, I, I think Bob, you you kind of were were on the same page as Randy as well that it it seems a little ludicrous that you live for this speck of time in this mortal existence and then you die and then boom you're a god. Um, yeah, and and, and I, ne- I I never I never thought that that's what Mormonism taught that like uh, as soon as you die then you're a god. I I always thought there's the whole millennium so there's at least a thousand years. Yeah, which is tons <laughs> of time compared to eternity. Well, tons of time compared to the years, yeah. 80 or 90 or however many we're going to have here. But, mm.
3: um, but I don't know. I mean, you, it's, well, it's well, you think of all the things you have to learn in the life to come. I mean, if you, if you were righteous and did the things you're supposed to, you're going to resurrect your loved ones. You're going to go to your son or daughter or wife's grave. Well, probably your sons, if your wife got married, her husband would handle it, but you have to resurrect them. Then that's a priesthood ordinance. And that's something you have to learn how to do. Where is that coming from, Mike? Where was that taught? Because I love it.
4: But I also think that we, that actually might be slightly covered in an upcoming heresy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh <really>? number seven. <laughs> but, but, yeah, number I mean, seven. Yeah, heresy seven. Well, I, no, as I much remember. as I don't we'll want to see, skip ahead, we'll, we'll get ahead. We'll get to it. Never mind. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> great. But, but, but that, I mean, that sounds like a folk doctrine more than like an official canonized doctrine that, that you will be performing the ceremony of resurrection upon your deceased ancestors.
3: Well, no, it'd be your wife. It'd be those you are tied to and linked to. So if your daughter never gets married, you'd raise your daughter, you would raise your son and you would raise your wife. Mm. But that, those are the ones you're responsible for. But where is that coming from? That teaching? Do uh, you
1: know the source of it? I think it's in the temple.
5: But isn't that, uh, isn't that kind of... Um, I don't think so. Doesn't that have a little bit of a single... I'm just thinking logistically. Sorry, Mike, to be so pragmatic here. But like, isn't that a little bit of a single point of failure? Like, So if any point in the chain, somebody's not around or it isn't the right one... is so there, we'll uh, Go
3: to the next righteous
5: oh okay okay so there's there are loopholes and it's not a, like a perfect system yeah if um, your
3: dad was a scumbag it goes to your grandfather he'll take care of you right and if you're
5: like if you got like generations of scumbags it's not as special anymore because it's going to be like a you know third cousin second removed or whatever but it's still
4: <laughs> <solid>. <laughs> bob how great will be your joy with him <laughs> the kingdom whoever he yeah. is in the kingdom of your great 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 uncle once removed you know it will be very great
5: yeah it'll be
3: wonderful <laughs> just afraid that's the hey, way hey, be. john you're yeah you're a scriptorian do you, do you remember what i'm talking about and where that's found
4: i i don't recall that in scripture but on the other hand what my problem uh always is on this kind of thing is that i'm i'm actually um i, I have to i have to sit down and read kind of all of the the LDS sections of the DNC that don't exist in community of Christ, because there's a lot of that stuff is actually in there. And I always ask people on, on these podcasts, I'm like, well, where's that? And they're like, well, DNC <laughs> 121. whatever." <you> know,
3: <laughs> like.
4: And then I go and look it up and I'm like, Oh yeah, it just <laughs> actually does say that spirit is matter.
5: <laughs> you know, right there. Oh, DNC 130. Yeah. You're exactly. like eliminated Mike's five favorite, chapters of the dnc
4: (laughs) yeah well that's not in you know so that's not in community of christ dnc right so that's all stuff that um orson pratt added Mm. right so it's not part of the it wasn't part of the canon as of 1843 1845 when they made the last dnc before they all moved west and so then at a certain point they looked through all these Joseph Smith materials and letters and things like that. And they chopped it all up and they added about whatever, 30, 40 sections in the LDS DNC. So.
1: So, so when you say Orson Pratt added it, it's not that he created the doctrine. He pulled it out of extant sources. Like, like he grabbed
4: a bunch of stuff and letters and things like that. And then yeah. that got made into new sections, but
1: he wasn't, he wasn't like creating pseudepigrapha.
4: No, no, no. It's all Joseph Smith material.
3: Interesting. I didn't know that. Well, I'll will try and look it up and get back up what I said.
5: So yeah. uh, it's fine. I mean, it's. Oh, I think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, and it's not like incongruent with Mormon theology necessarily. It seems seems right in line with a lot of other stuff that is fun. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, let let's let's start reading, and I I hope that we have some good tangent conversations in here because I'd I'd really like to publish seven different episodes for the seven deadly heresies and each one focuses on one of the
4: heresies like we're in- <laughs> only gonna get through episode t- i mean heresy two this tonight <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> would
3: you be interested in hearing uh bruce r mcconkey's blessing he got when he left for his mission by his father uh, I mean, sure you know,
5: you know potentially yeah it's not like 20 minutes though is it how long is it no it's
3: just like about a paragraph Oh, you have it memorized right it's just right here in front of me oh okay this is Oscar W. McConkie with his father, and this was when uh, Bruce R. was 18 years old, and this is the father's blessing they recorded when he was leaving for his mission. He says, When you are yet tabernacled in the flesh, that all men who know you will look to you for counsel and for the witness of the truth. For those, through, through your faithfulness, you shall become a chosen vessel exalted among your brethren in the holy order of the priesthood of our God. The Lord will bless you, and your heart will be filled with understanding. Your wisdom shall be great extending beyond the bounds of the earth and you shall comprehend the mysteries of the kingdom of God and many revelations will be given unto you and many things will be understood and taught you which are and shall be mysteries unto those who are not willing to pay the full price of obedience to God's exalted law, but which great treasure shall be pearls of great price to you for they shall light up your soul with everlasting joy. Is that it? That's it. It
5: sounds, it sounds like a, paragraph out of my patriarchal blessing I'm, I'm, it? I'm, well i mean I I, is know. there anything like particularly original in there like you're gonna be a great missionary and people are gonna listen to you right
4: no it, no he's saying that there's special insights that you're getting into ideas and stuff right i think that that was kind oh. of it le- relates kind of to bruce R. McConkie and his ultimate calling that he made for have found for himself with in terms of trying to work out how to make mormon doctrine mormon trying doctrine.
5: to clear the bar that his father had set for him <laughs> well i don't know maybe he's the epi- he's the epitome of that and so this retrofit of that kind of language makes even more sense for him but i didn't hear anything that i don't think i've heard in other recorded blessings that's
3: all well, I'm so the part that stands out to me is that you'll be exalted among your brethren in the holy order of the priesthood and uh, that people they'll come to you looking for answers and counsel
5: so you don't think that that somewhere it's not written for me that I'll be exalted and people will come and look for, to me for answers. And I
1: well, as, as, if, if it was Bob, as the creator of Bob's Mormon
5: cred scale, 1.0 and 2.0, <laughs> it probably came true. Yeah. You know, it's there. It's true. I didn't want to have it come out that way, Glenn, but now that you mention it, I am pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> like Bruce Armakonki. So it's just two of us. That's all I'm saying. <laughs>
1: So so, what what was his dad was Oscar McConkie. Was he like a general authority or a or anything like that?
3: Oh, I can't remember. I didn't look it up, but I know I, he was, yeah, he was something like that, but I don't remember exactly what it was.
5: Okay. Something like the other people that have come before him that other people look to for information and knowledge and yeah.
1: He, so he could be like a 70
4: that. or something. We don't know.
5: Yeah. Yeah. All
1: right. Well, um, Mike, do you have the, uh, uh, seven deadly heresies talk in front of you?
3: Uh, I have it on my phone here. Let me click over to it.
1: Okay. Nice. Cause, cause what we'll do is we'll just read sections and then we'll talk about it.
3: Uh, do you want me to read number two?
1: Not yet. You Can't already read it. It's somebody else's turn now. Oh, <laughs> that's how, that's how it goes. Okay. Yeah. Um, In fact, I'll I'll take I'll I'll start. um, Heresy 2 In fact, I'll I'll take I'll I'll start. um, Heresy 2 Okay. Heresy 2 concerns itself with the relationship between organic evolution and revealed religion and asks the question whether they can be harmonized (laughs) Hmm. Something makes me think that that's not exactly the way that uh, McConkie said it when he said it
0: Heresy 2 there are those who say that revealed religion and organic evolution can be harmonized. This is both false and devilish. Heresy
1: too concerns itself with the relationship between organic evolution and revealed religion and asks the question whether they can be harmonized.
0: This is both false and devilish.
1: And I know for, for, for certain that this next paragraph that we're going to read from, he didn't say. So this is all <laughs> inserted in by the BYU mysterious.
3: Okay, I'm, I'm reading the original. Oh, oh really? Yeah, what did you find the original? I found it. I found an edit. Somebody, uh, somebody from another church that likes to pick on us wrote it oh, down. Exactly. They, they, they <laughs> did it. Okay. So
4: That's great. Well, let let Mike read that. Well,
3: well re, re,
1: why don't you reread? Well, I'm I'm just going to insert the McConkie stuff for oh, like, okay. oh, the, the original okay. anyway. Um, so,
4: That'll be so, more fun. Yeah. yeah so what, but anyway, but we need to know what it is. So you read it, Glenn, and then yeah, Mike, so, tell so, us what's wrong. Okay. Yeah.
1: So here's what the BYU people said. Um, well, and, and the, but, but John, this is totally inserted. There, there, oh, okay. Yeah. There's like no gap between. <laughs> um, anyway, so this is, there are those who believe that the theory of organic evolution runs counter to the plain and explicit principles set forth in the Holy Scriptures, as these have been interpreted and taught by Joseph Smith and his associates. There are others who think that evolution is the system used by the Lord to form plant and animal life and to place man on earth. And Bruce Armikonky didn't say any of that. So this isn't, this isn't like twisting or okay, so that's something that's an insertion. Uh, com- yeah. completely inserting it. Yeah. I am
5: unable
3: to follow along. <laughs> yeah.
5: Because okay. it's not there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> huh. Uh, so what's the point of this? This is to say there's this one group, which Bruce R. Is totally right about, they, 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 got it wrong. But then there's these others who, you know, we're not saying that they think that the Lord uses evolution and that the two can work out, but wink, wink, that's what we're saying.
4: That's what we're saying. So that, that's <laughs> what the insertion is saying, right? So the, yeah. the insertion is saying that um, the position we want to make officially here is that evolution is a system used by the Lord to form plant and animal life and to place man on earth. So yeah. that's the that's the change,
5: and that sort of obfuscate, obfuscates the whole. There's my big word for the day, um, the whole thing about you know other species that came before Adam, that are that are. It's questionable whether or not Mormonism accepts that they existed and or that anyone existed before Adam, and that sort of thing. So it's still it's still like sort of just pushes aside the real scandal and problem and says no, these two things work out fine because some people say. Yeah, I think it's trying to insert uh, a seed of doubt
1: because McConkie doesn't leave any room for doubt. This is both false
0: and devilish.
1: Like there, there's, there, there's something that um, Truman Madsen explained in the, the Joseph Smith tapes, you know, the lectures that he did on Joseph Smith. And it's something, John, you may know what this phrase is. It, it's like uh, trying to split a hemlock knot or something like that.
3: Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Do, 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 you, a, do you, you remember a, Mike how it's how it's worded? Trying to split a hemlock knot with a uh, like a pumpkin potato. wedge
1: or something like a that. Pumpkin wedge, right? Is that what it was? Yeah. So so, so <laughs> and so then Truman Madsen explains, you know, like this that that a hemlock knot is one of the toughest things, and if you're trying to split that, you have to you know have something equally tougher, tougher than it to, uh, you know, and a pumpkin won't do it. This to me is kind of the same thing where Bruce R. McConkie is the hemlock knot in here that he just keeps hammering over and over again. You cannot harmonize these things. Um, evolution and the, the, the gospel are incompatible and that just didn't sit well with these people at BYU that were doing it. And so they're trying to loosen up that hemlock knot in um, well, some kind of a you could win. say
3: that their, their editing was both false and devilish. That's wow. exactly the word that uh, McConkie
1: would use, yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Oh, the irony that McConkie's so stalwart and then we get a watered-down version that... Is only it, that is the official one, and then Mike has to go to anti-Mormon sources to get the real one because the official one is the one that would be characterized as anti-Mormon
4: by has Mike. Has been Sanders. flushed
5: down the memory hole. Yes. Yeah, interesting. I mean,
4: I'm I'm here reading off of BYU. Edu. Yeah, me too. Mike is, Mike is on anti-mormon.org. <laughs> yeah,
3: <right. laughs> I actually cut and paste it so I could remove all their uh, little comments.
1: The unintentional apostate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Slash apologists, yeah, or mm. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and they're they're like they they go through and they soften the language a lot like, you know, let me say that I think this, you know, where he doesn't say that, he just says it's this way. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Who wants to take the next paragraph? I'll take it. Go, Bob.
0: Yes, all truth is in agreement and true religion and true science bear the same witness. Indeed, in the true and full sense, true science is part of true religion.
5: May I say that all truth is in agreement that true religion and true science bear the same witness and that in the true and full sense, true science is part of true religion. <laughs> I love why, he, why are you laughing at that? Because he's using an adjective for both of them to put them on, on an equal playing field. He's like, true. well, because there's false and true science, just like there's false and true religion. It's like, no, there's not. I mean, there I guess technically there's such a thing as false science, but it's it's not a one-to-one. It's he's he's elevating He's either elevating religion or he's lowering science so that the two can, we can all pretend like they're, you know, science and
4: religion. I think think he's creating this regular Mormon dichotomy of this idea that things are either true or false in terms of, I know this church is true religion. I am a part of the true religion as opposed to the false religion. That's true too. That's well, true, false
3: religion though. would be the Trinity, and false science would be that the fluoride in the water is turning the frogs gay. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. <laughs> <Those> two examples.
5: <laughs> I don't know how to follow that, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> and I can't think word. of a good
1: example. But I think what he's saying here is that if if there's science that supports religious beliefs, then that's true science. Well. And if it contradicts religious, like revealed religious truth, then it's got to be false science. And so the, the the true religion is always your litmus test for whether something is true or false.
3: True religion is that God isn't a genie; he doesn't twinkle his nose and say yapple dapple and and things appear.
5: Yapple uh, dapple, nice <laughs> hocus pocus. I thought I read it differently. I thought he was he was sort of throwing science under the bus slightly, like hey you know, science, only true science is what I'm talking about. Because, you know, science sometimes gets it wrong, which he's sort of equivocating the scientific method, which is, of course, science gets it wrong all the time, because science admits to itself that when it gets it wrong, and then does another experiment, that it, it throws out what we knew to that level, and then replaces it with the new. And religion rarely does that very gracefully, but science is willing to admit that, you know, we only know what we know based on on the level we're at and we keep pushing forward and and sometimes it eliminates things that have come before and we're willing to um, acknowledge that without a problem. But then he like automatically gets this new category of false science, which is like, you know, what doctors did in the 16th century or something. And it's like, it's just not the same thing as how religion handles things.
1: Yeah, I think I, I I don't think that he's going quite that far with it. I think he's being much more focused and myopic because he's going to be talking about evolution here. Uh, okay. Because okay. evolution is contradictory to the revealed world word that says that death um, was not part of the earth in the Garden of Eden. And then after the fall, death was introduced. That's your that's your standard for truth, right there. And so, if science is able to prove that that's true, then that's true science. But if science goes contrary to it, then it's false science.
4: Well, he's about to he's about to go on a, a medieval interlude. Uh, yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll finish it up. I okay, just, go ahead. I, I wanted to ask Mike a question really fast. If like Mike, it, it, was this a thing? Is this a thing for you, or, or am I making this up? Like, I remember as an active Mormon thinking of certain things in science that were really hard to reconcile that like, Hey, maybe it's just a decade or so away and evolution will fix itself because it'll catch up and um, we'll find out something we didn't realize and it, it'll be fine because science always gets it wrong before it gets it right and aligns with religion. Is that, is that a, a justification you've ever used or is, was that just Bob? No. No. I, okay. No. All right. All right. All right. I'll keep reading. That's just me. I'm weird. All right. But may I also raise some questions of a serious nature is there any way to harmonize the false religions of the dark ages with the truths of science as they have now been discovered is there any way to harmonize the revealed religion that has come to us with the theoretical postulates of darwinism oh see darwin is theoretical (laughs) and the diverse speculations descending therefrom.
1: and i think just keep in mind bob as you're reading these questions uh mcconkey wasn't framing it as a question
0: But there is no way to harmonize the false religions of the Dark Ages with the truths of science as they have now been discovered. And there is no way to harmonize the revealed religion which has come to us with the theoretical postulates of Darwinism and the diverse speculations descending therefrom. Do not be deceived. Oh. Yeah, I'm reading along and it's like a cheese
3: grater on my ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us the real version. Oh, right, we're going to edit it in, I guess. But huh.
1: well, I mean, it's it's word for word exactly the same. It's just not phrased as a question. And and what comes before this and comes after it is McConkie saying these things cannot be harmonized. This is the truth. This is the gospel. These things right here. He's 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 setting a standard for measuring truth. And what BYU did is they came in here and they just blew that standard out of the water by asking a question i mean that's that's really bad right like it's mike.
5: it's it's cheese grating to mike's ears bad mike how do you feel about byu after this
3: <laughs> <laughs> like i did when i read that essay in 2013
5: <laughs> okay it's more of the same with that problem okay uh should i keep going or do you want to switch it up uh, let, yeah, let's let's
1: switch over to John. But 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 Mike, can you read from the one that we're reading from, so we don't have like different
3: versions? I gotta cross the room and go grab it. Okay.
4: So I'm just going to mention, as a medievalist, I oppose this characterization of the so-called Dark Ages, <laughs> both in question <laughs> form and and in statement. But, yeah, form. question or statement <laughs> form. This this kind of cheap cheap thing that McConkie going for. Ex- expl- so.
1: Explain it because I don't quite understand what he's trying to invoke when he invokes the dark ages here. What, what is he trying to do, John? Well, because he's saying so, isn't, like the, because the, what he says is there's no way to harmonize the false religions of the dark ages with the truths, truths of science. Of science why of would he want, why would he want to?
4: Harmonize, or why would he want to to reclaim so the? Told, I mean, what, 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 so what is a what is a false religion of the Dark Ages? I, and I, I mean, he's saying so. What he's doing there is he. This is a Mormon thing, so he's invoking the Great Apostasy. Mm-hmm. So he's saying that all of Christianity throughout all the time period between whatever the year sixty and the year uh 1830 is in apostasy and so that's a false religion of the dark ages Mm. and so and we can't reconcile where where people were at presumably i don't know whatever in the year 1000 uh with where uh, science is now discovered but in point of fact actually um there there are multiple religions that are in continuity with the middle ages (laughs) including the catholic church for example and they are busily um they're learning stuff too and they and they also are reconciled with a lot of all kinds of different scientific principles that have been discovered since then right so for example even in the famous and not actually very fair galileo myth that we have um the catholic church ultimately apologized for that a couple of years ago right (laughs) so anyway so they are reconciling with that so i don't anyway i don't i don't i don't i don't think that this 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 characterization is taking kind of a cheap shot of more or less saying that we have this negative opinion of the dark ages as we call them uh which is a construct but in fact you know those people are our ancestors and we're in continuity with them and they are busily inventing stuff um and they're the precursors to where we're at. So even though you know, we ended up having this idea that uh, ancient people were really brilliant and all these people in the Dark Ages were really stupid, um, in point of fact, you know, the things like the clock, things like the windmill, things like the deep plow that actually allowed um, significant agriculture in France and things like that, uh, th- things like the organ, things like the map, you know, all you know, the compass, these are all invented in the, in the dark ages or whatever the middle ages, mm. you know, and and in, in that way, it's because um, they didn't have this giant, massive slave culture that the Romans had available to them that they actually were committed to coming up with labor saving devices and 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 creating uh innovations, and that's frankly the basis for our culture way more than the the old kind of like Greco Roman. Ideal of just completely theoretical philosophy, where you just sit around and say, "How many, how many teeth does a horse have?" Well, ideally, it should be a perfect number like uh, 40, 44, 40 and four. <laughs> but you never go and look in the damn horse's mouth because because that would that would get your hand dirty or whatever. In so there was the Greco-Roman ideal of it being entirely theoretical in the Middle Ages, they're actually doing stuff. And so, I, and so, I think that it, this kind of regular uh, uh, cheap man, slight on a on the Middle Ages is kind of just a regular. Anyway, what the things d- we do. D-
1: is the term Dark Ages still used, or is the, is that that's just when it's uh, like so? It would, it would sex it would, attraction.
4: <laughs> it, you, you can do. You can still use it, but anyway, it would be it would be apply specifically to the immediate aftermath of the. F- the traditional fall of the Western Roman empire. So the late antiquity. So the seventh, eighth century before Charlemagne. Mm. That
1: time. So it's a much narrower thing than the way McConkie's is using it here as just like the entire,
5: so that was, that was really interesting. I, I was, um, I had a question for Mike um, before well, yeah. we continue. I was just wondering, Mike, Since we have you on, if you could explain uh, what you think of evolution, uh, the science of evolution,
3: Uh, I'm sure there's been some great leaps from the flood till now. Uh, I heard cheetah spots are becoming lines or something like that. But But before the six thousand years, (laughs) pre-flood,
5: yeah, or pre-Adam. What do you think about pre-Adam? How uh, how the world worked then?
3: Uh, He gets into he gets into it here, but. Okay. I mean, I, I, I've had the thought of an older, like uh, they talked in the creation about how the sun and moon became visible after the plant life was on Earth. And so that would mean that the plants created oxygen that cleaned the atmosphere that made the sun and moon visible from the Earth's surface. So if you want to talk about how long that took, you know, but as far as the evolution of animals, uh, I, I'm not going to buy into that.
5: Well, so what about Neanderthals and other other species other than Homo sapiens?
3: Well, it wasn't that long ago that they uh, had a—I uh, I guess you'd call a female Neanderthal in, in Russia, and her grandchildren were still alive today. That you know, the the townspeople would get her drunk and then have sex with her, and she'd have their kids, and so you have these cross. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fact. Um, look up a
2: uh, Russian cave woman or whatever. Just Google it. Has modern man interbred with yetis? Georgia, Russia, 1850. Hunters stumble across a six and a half feet tall female yeti, or almasti as the locals call the creatures. It is covered in black hair and possesses great strength and running speed. After a struggle they capture the creature alive and take her to a remote mountain village where it is caged by the local nobleman. The creature remains ferocious even when locals throw food into its cage. Three years later, the creature becomes tame. It is uncaged and named Zena. Never learning to speak, Zena dies in 1890. However, during her 40 years in the village, she gave birth to several children who died young, but not all of them. Two girls and two sons were raised by villagers, including Quit and who is educated and speaks as well as any other villager. He has dark skin and inherits his mother's strength. 1954, Quits dies. His skull is examined by experts who conclude that it resembles that of Neolithic man. But who was Quits' father? Had human and Almasti interbred? It's a fact. Google it. Modern DNA analysis of Zaina's descendants shows that she was not a yeti. She was a human female, unusually for the remote part of Russia where she was captured. She was of African descent. So how did she get there? In light of the DNA evidence, it is speculated that she may have been an escaped African slave, but more detailed analysis of the DNA shows that although African, Zayna does not match any known group on that continent. This leads to the hypothesis that a group of Africans could have explored northwards and lived for many, many generations in the remote Russian mountains. However she got there, Zayna was a woman who was captured and imprisoned against her will and possibly raped, especially after becoming addicted to alcohol. Kuit's father is likely the village nobleman, Edgy Geneva. It's a fact. Nothing for
0: you! You are pathetic and weak! Feel the wrath of Shao Kahn! Don't be
5: jealous that I've been chatting online with babes all day. We both know I'm training to become a cage fighter.
3: But what point are you Andrew trying to Google? prove with that? That it—it's not like they were way back when. It's this is all not that long ago.
4: But so you, when you're finding these bones of these sub so species. You, is that going to make? Is that going to? I mean, so in the creation museum, like in in cincinnati or whatever they have
1: kentucky the ken hamlin you're talking about yeah the they, they have like
4: people. they have people running around riding dinosaurs and stuff like that are you are you saying a similar i mean I'm, you're saying i know neanderthals and homo sapiens together but are you also saying that for dinosaurs or what
3: uh i don't i'm i'm, I'm not all that sure i mean maybe uh, the, the reason they're all found together in mudslides is because the flood killed them all i don't know
5: okay all right, or well, maybe we've got the science wrong and it'll fix itself soon. Well, and, 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 and as
1: we as, as we come <laughs> across, what I'll be interested, Mike. I mean, so so I, I think the, the default assumption is going to be that if McConkey says it, then you believe it. So you know, the the, the only thing I'm really well, gonna we be, don't
4: know what he actually said because we keep reading. True, anyway. <laughs> true. <laughs>
1: but, but but what I'm going to be interested in, Mike, is if there are things that McConkey says that you don't quite buy a hundred percent. That maybe you give a little bit of wiggle room for um, some other reason. So once, once we get to that, if there's anything like that, um, I'd be interested to hear that. Right. So, uh, John, were you going to take the,
4: yeah, well, I can read this, but I'm, I'm fairly confident that this is also edited, right? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So,
1: well, well, but again, like it's, it's word for word what he said. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Okay. Should we accept, the famous document of the First Presidency issued in the days of President Joseph F. Smith and entitled, quote, The Origins of Man as meaning exactly what it says? Rhetorical yes, yes, question mark? I presume we shouldn't, right? That He's making it sound like in the, in the edit that we shouldn't.
0: Do not be deceived and led to believe that the famous document of the First Presidency issued in the day of President Joseph F. Smith and entitled The Origin of Man means anything except exactly what it says.
4: (laughs) But I presume we should. So is it the doctrine of the gospel that Adam stood next to Christ in power and might and intelligence before the foundations of the world were laid and Adam was placed in this earth as an immortal being, that there was no death in the world for him or for any form of life until after the fall? and the fall of Adam brought temporal and spiritual death into the world, that this temporal death passed passed upon all forms of life, upon man and animal and flesh and fowl and plant life, that Christ came to ransom man and all forms of life from the effects of the temporal death brought into the world through the fall, and in this case man from a spiritual death also, and that this ransom includes a resurrection for man and for all forms of life, and then can you harmonize these things with the evolutionary postulate that death has always existed and that the various forms of life have evolved from preceding forms over astronomically long periods of time? So I think that that's very clear. So in other words, if you really do believe that this um, story of Adam and Eve, if it, uh, as interpreted in Mormon doctrine, if you un- understand that that as... The beginning of when death actually occurs, and there's no death before that, then you can't have evolution functioning prior to that moment, right? Because obviously the whole the whole mechanism is death, right?
1: Yeah. And is is that is that why you said earlier, Mike, that if you're talking about animals evolving, you're not down with that?
3: Well, he he gets into that here in the next few scriptures, but he's he's talking about. Okay. If you have the creation, the fall, and the atonement, and they're all tied together, okay, what is going to be redeemed at the time of resurrection? What what all falls under the uh, under the uh, Christ's power to save? Uh, does it end well, with why, don't, does it why don't end you with read
1: with the next part? I always like reading the scripture parts anyway.
3: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh, I'll go, with, I'll go with the BYU one just to remain <laughs> yeah, Sorry. You, you can, can, you can you, wash your mouth out with soap later on. <laughs> <laughs> can you harmonize the theories of men with the inspired words that say, and now behold, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would remain in the Garden of Eden, and all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were created, in which they were after they were created, and they must have remained forever and had no end. And they, meaning Adam and Eve, would have had no children, wherefore they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy for they knew no misery, doing no good for they knew no sins. But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. And the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time, that he may redeem the trouble of men from the fall. 2nd, 85, 26. Yeah. Uh-huh. So let me tell you the way
1: that I understand this, Mike, and then you can tell me where I'm wrong. Um, there are things called ideological myths and an ideological myth is a, it's, it's a device that explains why something is like, like what was the very first Christmas or, you know, what, why is there death in the world or why are there different languages that people have? And so there's a story that explains those questions because it's something that people wonder. And so the Adam and Eve story is an ideological myth that explains why death came into the world. And, you know, like, like you said here, it it justifies and validates a lot of the claims that the religion is making to be a valid religion that has saving ordinances and this and that. If, if there, if you don't take the Adam and Eve myth literally, then what is, I, I think you, you said this yourself, what is there to be saved from? There's really no point in that
3: if, yeah if adam if adam did not fall then then why do we need christ
1: yeah well if you're if you're interpreting it literally there's other ways to interpret it i mean you could have a metaphorical interpretation and still need christ because of the way that he symbolizes teachings of harmony and love and charity and, and that sort of thing even if it's not literal and I, and i think this well, is
3: if it's not literal then why would you care
5: because
3: <laughs> it's a good way to live
4: the, well, I mean, one one uh, I would I would always argue is the opposite of literal is meaningful. So literal Ooh. doesn't have any meaning at all because it's just something that happened, and so it so therefore it doesn't actually meaningful. So meaning is uh, it has something uh, as a special thing. So when I mean, we're going to be diametrically opposed, you know, in terms of <laughs> our, our our religions, Mike, that's fine. But and but I, what I would say is that there is very, very much possible to have, you know, something that is filled with meaning as opposed to just something that happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so really, really what, I, what I was trying to build towards there, Mike, is that the, these, these myths that exist in these sacred books, the Bible, um, you know, that we're most familiar with, can, can come up through the ages and are very meaningful for a lot of reasons. And then you get Joseph Smith who writes the book of Mormon. And I'm going to claim that Joseph Smith was the author of the book of Mormon. And he's referring to these myths and he's commenting on them. And that's what you've got in the section that you just read there. Second Nephi 222 22 through 26. It's, it's building on the meaning um, of the, the Adam and Eve myth that was in there. And it's just not squaring with the way that um, we're learning now with the scientific method and inquiry, understanding how the world works. We, we have a different way of understanding that. And I, I just feel like people like Bruce R. McConkie are really missing the boat because they're so tied to the literal interpretation of these things. Instead of seeing these, these scriptures and these myths for what they were and the value that they provide and the meaning that they have, and then taking that meaning and going with the meaning, they're doubling down on the literalness of it and creating this no win situation where even BYU can't square what they are as an institution <laughs> to, 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 publish McConkie's talk word for word from what he said. Mm.
3: So, my so dad, well, if I, what I need, what I need is it to be real and meaningful both. Mm. I don't want it one or the other. I, it, it has to be both or it's of no value as, a, as far as, well, what is real? What, what do you mean by real? Adam literally fell. Adam was created. Adam fell, and Christ is real. So it's not a no
4: need for Christ if Adam didn't fall. The well, one I'll just suggest that there's multiple different atonement theories that are beside the one that the Mormons Mormons have, and Mormons Mm -hmm. actually aren't even settled on one particular one. And so there are possible values or purposes or theoretical uh, ideas about why Christ is necessary you know, without the particular literal fall that we're talking about. Um, But I also want to just, I want to chime in now with a, so Glenn has talked about kind of the folkloric aspect of, of the Adam story as myth. And so I actually come at this as opposed to, I mean, if we would have, um, you know, people on here who are evolutionary biologists, they would come at this differently, but I have it from a historical perspective. One of the things Uh, One of the ways that we can look at whether the Adam and Eve story are historical, uh, given the fact that obviously we can't do any archaeology on it. It's just a couple people. There's no way we could look for that. Um, What we can do, though, is if we look through all of the ancient writings of ancient Israel and we say, well, how aware are they of this thing, which for them, let's say was the very most important thing more or less than it happened. They haven't had Christ yet. Mm -hmm. If we go to the Nephites, the Nephites are continuously aware that Christ is about to come and they're actually, um, vastly aware of Adam's fall before that. Right. Because if we look at the book of Mormon, um, the mentions of Adam in the book of Mormon are 26 times, right? So Adam is mentioned 26 times in the book of Mormon. Um, if you were to, though, by take by contrast what the earliest prophets in the Bible, so people who were actually writing before maybe even Genesis was written. So if you even take people like Isaiah, which is one of the early ones, Jeremiah, Micah, Amos, Hosea, how many times do they mention Adam? Would you imagine? Given that it's the most important thing, Adam's fall, and also looking forward to Christ, these are really important to prof- prophets, Isaiah. How many times do you suppose he mentions Adam? I'm guessing it's pretty low. Zero. (laughs) Zero. There's absolutely zero uh, mentions of Adam in those stories. So uh, by contrast, Isaiah, um, you know, is, and Jeremiah and Micah, they mention Isaiah. I'm sorry, they mention, I'm sorry, Abraham. Uh, They uh, are continually talking Isaiah. uh, There's 116 mentions of Moses. There are, um, you know, like a hundred mentions of David, you know, outside in in all of those kind of scriptures. So in other words, they are very aware of these earlier stories, these earlier um, figures of uh, Moses, Abraham, David. There is absolutely no awareness in the earliest Hebrew scriptures we even have in the Bible itself of adam you know so adam is vastly important in the book of mormon and he's also important in the doctrine and covenants there's seven mentions of adam in the new testament but outside of the genesis account there's one mention in 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 deuteronomy one in the very late books of job and chronicles and so this is because that story is not known and it's because the story appears late you know and so that's I mean, that's just something we can tell, I mean, by even the, the text itself, you know.
5: Or maybe, maybe that's a selection bias. I'm, I'm TBM whispering
4: this. Why Mike. Would non, none of the prophets, none of them. Isaiah, nobody. There's nothing.
5: I mean, but Isaiah probably wrote more than what's in the Bible, presumably, right? I'm just, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> looking for excuses.
3: <laughs> how, how, how old I'm is if, the, like the book of, of Enoch? Go, go ahead, Mike. I'm just curious, of like the Book of Enoch. What what would be in that in regards to Adam and the Fall? Well, what is the Book of Enoch, though, Mike?
4: You mean in the, the Ethiopic? Scripture? Yeah, the uh, Ethiopic Book of Enoch. I think he means the Joseph Smith. The part of well, the, no,
2: I, I know that there's,
4: there's a lot of lost scripture that we're talking so about. Jewish. Yeah, you're, you're talking about pseudepigrapha, right? Right, right. Yeah. So, so the the Book of Enoch, uh, which is part of the Ethiopian canon. Oh, that is okay. Is a, and by the way it was viewed as scripture for early, among early Christians. So, for example, the the Epistle of Jude quotes the Book of Enoch, but the Book of Enoch is a uh, very late book. Again, so it's also written. Um, I think it may be three, three, three or four hundred, three or four hundred yeah. BC at the earliest parts of it. I think and I thought so, it was AD. No, no, ABC? BC is the earliest part. Is So the earliest part is still, because it's, it's quoted in the Dead Sea Scroll and things like that. Mm. But there's no way on earth it's written by Enoch. So right. it's yeah. it's very, um, it's dependent on um, Persian sources. So it's written at the time of the, the Persian Empire. And so anyway, okay. it's, so it's not, it, it, the reason why I didn't make it into scripture is because it's a late book. And so. Gotcha. Oh, anyway, I was thinking of the book of ether. My bad.
5: I'm too far yeah. out.
4: Yeah. So, so all I'm going to say on this, on Adam and Eve is, is that, you know, I mean, Adam's actually even name is, I mean, Adam just means man, you know, right? it's an allegory. The, the, the snake talks, you know, this is the the hallmarks of a fable. So the, the Yahweh source, the J source that is the author of, uh the, according to the documentary hypothesis of the of the Garden of Eden story you know is a, a a writer probably in the court of Judea you know right before the destruction of Jerusalem and this this story um doesn't track backwards in the religion before that you know so that's that's what I have to say about it in terms of there not only does it not work with all of this incredibly robust um You know, yes, it's a theory or whatever, but anyway, this incredibly robust theory that we have of organic evolution that all of the entire fossil record and everything else, uh, genetics, DNA, all the things, you know, completely track with, but the story itself within the Bible itself uh, doesn't portray itself as, you know, the most ancient thing, even though in the way the Bible is now currently edited, it comes first so
5: what's the history of making it the first thing is it is it just that was part of i'm sure some historical process and it's the same reason that like mormons know first nephi better than any other (laughs) scripture in the book of mormon and the adam and eve story it's not that it's that beautifully done it's just that it's the one at the beginning or am i sort of reaching there
4: they added so the probably what happened is around the time of ezra who is one of the um Uh, leaders of the Diaspora people who come, he's a court official of the Persian Empire. He comes back to Jerusalem uh, when Jerusalem is a Persian part of a Persian province. He's command, allowed by the Emperor of Persia to rebuild the temple. He reads the law for the first time, and people are all surprised because they never have heard this. They've never heard any of these things said before. And hmm. so and so the idea probably is, is that Ezra. Um, as an important Persian, he's a Jew, but also an official in the Persian court, has had the capacity to um, edit together all of the the different pre-biblical sources. And so he has created what we call the Torah or the Pentateuch, the five books, so-called of Moses they're not written by Moses but anyway it's Mm. multiple sources that have been edited together and those five books then have a central role and they get placed at the front of Mm. the canon of the of scripture both for Jews and Christians interesting um by the way
5: for the record uh, conveniently, the Book of Ether does mention the fall of Adam, and, and why wouldn't it? But I just thought I'd throw
4: <laughs> well, that in there. It's very important <laughs> by that time. In other words, so, so Joseph Smith isn't aware of, of of this kind of background at all, right? And, right. And so that for the Book of Mormon, um you know, at the Adam's fall and everything like that is actually really, really crucial theology yeah, as to... Joseph Smith understands it. And so, like I say, Adam is mentioned twenty six times in the Book of Mormon, twenty eight times in the Doctrine and Covenants. You know, so. Uh, that's like way more. So the whole New Testament—I'm sorry—the whole Old Testament, outside of the Genesis account itself, uh, just twice. Zero mentions in all the earliest prophets, and you know, seven mentions in the New Testament. So once in Luke, five in Paul's epistles, once in Jude. What do you think about all that, Mike?
3: I think I should have done my homework before this episode.
5: <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Use the
3: Spirit. Use the Spirit. <laughs> But uh, Adam is so central to to everything we believe in. He, he was he was part of the creation. He was he was part of the uh, directing the creation of the earth, the organizing of the spirit. Who's going to decide to be on Christ's side and decide to come to the earth? Uh, he had to fall in order for everyone to be even be born and have an opportunity to prove themselves. Uh, I mean, Adam is central to everything, and
5: the... to everything in the Mormon context. But, to well, us, what I,
4: but I would argue is that what those all are are theological ideas, and so Adam, theologically, and the story there are are central to the idea, but it's not historical. So it doesn't actually track. We can't actually go back and find any evidence for this in history. In fact, we can actually say conclusively that it's not ancient, because we can tell where the story enters the historical record, even within the Bible. Rather, it's a theological thing. So, this is the this is my argument about detaching from literalism, and instead, taking the idea, and the whole concept of this mortality, and the choices, and all these other kinds of things, and making that, therefore, be meaningful, and weird, as a, um, like Glenn would point out a a, a, a species that um, thrives on understanding things through story and narrative that in telling these stories we understand purpose and meaning and everything like that Mm. but but we should be we have to ultimately understand that academic history which is telling us what actually happened and things like that is very far from any of our our actual meaning stories our sacred stories right But but John,
5: would you settle for a series of rhetorical questions that suggest that that's not true?
4: I, I would, if, if you guys re-edit this podcast and I'm like saying, can we not understand? <laughs> you know, you know, whatever it is. is it possible to harmonize
1: Adam <laughs> with the all of my record?
4: authoritative declarations that the Adam story is not history? If you say, but can we not understand? It might not be history. <laughs> or whatever. I mean, I'll be quite mad at you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's funny. Mike, Mike, I want to ask you about Adam. Like yes. t- 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 tell me like, what, what are the things that you admire about Adam?
3: Uh, he was sinless as opposed to the, the fall choice. Uh, Adam, how, how how is that? Like, what do you mean he was sinless? He, he was a, he was almost a perfect man other than that. Uh, uh, one thing he did accomplish was he, he gathered together his posterity that was righteous and brought them into the presence of Christ. Just as Christ came down among them and spent time with them pre uh, as a, you know, Pre mortal Christ. Uh, in DNC oh seven fifty three through, what is it, uh, 56, I think it is? Yeah, 53 through 56. Uh, he, he takes his righteous posterity. This is before he dies. Uh, Enoch was there.
4: Sally Fali- Adam and Diamond.
3: Yeah, Adam and Diamond, and Christ came down among them. So he, he, he was able to perfect his posterity to that point. Um, so he, he accomplished everything he was supposed to accomplish. He did everything he was supposed to do. Sorry, so, sorry, Mike,
5: but John, is that Community of Christ Scripture or not? I just want to know.
4: Oh, so that's not, no. Well, I, that particular verse, I think that that particular section might have actually been inserted in a different place. So mm-hmm, I, don't know. Okay. I, I don't think so, though. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. This is so, 107, so 53 to 56.
3: So, so
1: Mike, what I want to follow up with then is that the, those things that you admire about Adam are those things that you want to emulate and like follow his example so that you will be able to live as sinless a life as possible, that you will be able to bring your posterity together and um, into the presence of Christ. Well, that, that is the whole purpose of the priesthood. This is everything. I'm going to take that as a yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, you want to emulate. And, and so the, the point that I'm trying to make here with, with this line of questioning is that whether Adam is a real person or not, these, these values, these things that you admire and would aspire to in your own life, um, are represented by the story of Adam. And that, and that's where to me, the the power of these things really exist. And when you, when you start arguing about the literalness, either for or against it, um, as a believing Mormon or an ex-Mormon, it just seems like such a waste of time <laughs> I mean, and and kind of irrelevant. If
3: it's not true, I'd be wasting my time.
1: But 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 it, it isn't true in the sense of his, historicity, which John just explained to you, but you won't accept, which is fine. But it is true to you in the sense that these are the ways that, that you want to live your life and, and the, the meaning that it provides to you. So in that sense, it is true. Yeah, Christianity. When you look at it, has brought the most peace and prosperity and and greatest civilization we've ever known. More than Shinto, so yeah, it's like blood than you know the bloodthirsty Shinto man. And all the Crusades that the the Shinto people went on. You're right. I
4: mean, hey, okay. So we're, we're doing bad, There's some bad stuff in Shinto. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> we're,
5: doing, we're doing the broad
4: I mean, brush. Like which? Okay. If you're gonna bring the crusades into it, Manchukuo <laughs> We don't we oh, don't uh, need like, basic Manchu Christian principles are the Japanese occupation of Manchuria and all of the Oh yeah. The yeah, horrific
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't Shinto's fault. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: except for except for why did it every single time that whatever Abe has to go to the, the Shinto shrine. It's, he can't go there because it has got all the, all the war criminals, you know, who <laughs> killed all the people in China, the Ch- Chinese genocide. And so they can't,
5: so wait, are we so arguing? Sorry, you're totally wrong. <laughs> which, which which argument are we making? Which, which religion is the worst versus the best? <laughs> yeah, right. Christianity. John, not
1: corrupted Shinto. Post post uh, 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 apostasy Shinto. It's hard to know which one was corrupt. <laughs> I know. Damn it! <laughs> All right. Sometimes sometimes I miss. Sometimes yeah. I hit. All right. So, um, Mike just finished reading that makes it my turn again. And lucky me, I get to read something that, uh, McConkie also didn't say. So (laughs) what did he say? so, So these next three sentences, um, these are questions to which all of us should find answers. Every person must choose for himself what he will believe. Oh. I recommend that all of you study and ponder and pray and seek light and knowledge in these and in all fields. No, he didn't say that. Okay, <laughs> he wasn't saying. I, I encourage you all to seek the answers and find out for yourself. He's saying, he thought, "Here's he the he answer:
4: Origin of Species." I encourage you to read it.
5: <laughs> I, I think we should do a smackdown
1: of
4: I,
5: it. Uh, maybe, maybe it's not coming through my my. Voice inflection, but I think I'm more upset about what BYU is doing here than anything McConkie's saying. If we're to prioritize yeah. what the sin is here, yeah, this is really bad. <laughs> like, why? Because McCon- McConkie is McConkey is very clearly stating Mormon doctrine. Yeah, he's convicted, and he's he has a conviction of what he believes, and he's wanting to state it as clearly as he thinks he knows how. And that's well, fine. the thing
3: is everything he's saying he can back up with scripture and prophetic quotes. Sure. Like sure. It, it's yeah. not like he's just giving his opinion.
1: <laughs> no. And that's, but, and, and I'm glad you said it that way because that's exactly the way that the BYU people are framing it. That he, that I think this, I but think they, this, they're framing it as his opinion,
4: not as they keep adding the I believes. I think. Yeah.
5: What kind of heresy is that? That should be like number one out of the seven. Now it's eight, but you know, <laughs> retrofitting somebody's words to fit your agenda. That's, that seems like pretty heretical. I
2: don't know
3: yeah I started going through this b y u one and i'm I'm using a green highlighter and everything he did not say, and it makes for a colorful uh, pamphlet here <laughs> yeah <laughs> i did I did that with yellow
1: that's that's right and then, I, and then I
3: bolded things that he
1: did say that b y u took out so so we've got one of those coming up here in a minute mm. so so i'll I'll read the next paragraph, um which is I believe that, which again he didn't say, but he did say the atonement of Christ is the great and eternal foundation upon which revealed religion rests. I believe that no man can be saved. He probably didn't say I believe. He probably just said no man can be saved. Unless he believes that our Lord's atoning sacrifice brings immortality to all and eternal life to those who believe and obey. And no man can believe in the atonement unless he accepts both the divine sonship of Christ and the fall of Adam. Oh my God. This is
5: like such bullshit. You know, it's not McConkie because... Do you think McConkie has is the personality that says who gets up in front of the, the the church you know at the pulpit and says I believe he's an I know guy he's yeah, totally yeah, an yeah, I know right, guy yeah right this is not McConkie's
3: the guy in Braveheart that comes up with the axe and slams it in the middle of the table and said enough <laughs> with the bickering <laughs>
5: yeah maybe that too but just he's going to do the testimony by the book I know this church is true this is like I believe I'm so soft I don't know it's just my
4: belief it's like yeah right. Well, I'll just point out that Braveheart is absolutely unhistorical.
1: If <laughs> <laughs> the axe was real.
4: But there, there, might be, there might be a real principle there, or truth, in, in terms of how people are wanting to take the story, but yeah. in fact, none of that is historical at all.
5: Right. right, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, and in fact, there must be, or else the story wouldn't have survived if it
4: didn't provide meaning and value. Well, the it?
3: movie no, didn't first, even the mention the uh, crossbows they had to deal with, but that's a whole other thing. But, but well, it
4: has this whole thing where Mel Gibson like like <laughs> has sex with the Queen of England and and produces the next <laughs> cuddles the next heir or whatever. When prima nocta. but he was already. I mean, it's like when he, it's like he was dead five years before that kid was born. You know, as a, it, the Braveheart implies, is his son or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> beyond beyond that that thing, I, the worst part was I, I knew a bunch of Scottish people who couldn't you know who were really really angry at the english and for you know like their own kind of nationalistic reasons Based on Braveheart, <laughs> 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 the worst kind of you know it's the worst basis for it. It's a prima noctin, it didn't exist. That's not a real thing, and and and, and that, is, that is not the reason to not like the English. There's all kinds of real reasons, but then, but <laughs> so anyway, that's not the reason.
5: Wait, but John, John, what I think I hear you saying is that because Braveheart wasn't historical, you don't like it, and you're not finding meaning. So, ergo, you're just like Mike. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no i there's all kinds of different reasons that you can like like i say that you can not like the english <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. if you're scottish and there's all kinds of reasons to like being scottish and all that kind of thing but fueling yourself on a false belief that certain things that were historical like prima and, Octa and things like that mm. that's that's not helping you at all
5: so more historical movies are better just kidding i'm messing with you <laughs> <laughs> I'm killing. I'm killing you. I'm no, sorry, I think. Sorry. I think there's a Jonathan Haidt
1: lesson in here that the the emotional response of hatred precedes the the post hoc explanation as to why that hatred should be there. So it doesn't matter if there's a it's a, a fictional post hoc that hatred is still there. Yeah, I'll pretend like I followed. I think I get. I think I get that. <laughs> okay. All right, Bob. You got the next next one my reasoning causes me to conclude that which he didn't say (laughs) okay he just starts with if
5: but go ahead yeah my reasoning causes me to conclude that if death has always prevailed in the world then there was no fall of adam that brought death to all forms of life that if adam did not fall there is no need for an atonement that if there was no atonement there is no salvation no resurrection and no eternal life and that if there was no atonement there is nothing in all of the glorious promises that the Lord has given us. I believe, bullshit. I believe that the fall affects man, all forms of life and the earth itself. And that the atonement affects man, all forms of life and the earth itself. Did I yeah. read like three sentences twice in, <laughs> somehow it seems like it, but, but there's actually <laughs> something that he said in there that got edited out. Okay. Did you catch
1: it, Mike? Yes, I did what did what did he say that they edited out
3: uh, if there is no salvation there is no god
5: right wow well, oh. why would you take that out that's like that
4: speaks very poorly of byu
5: you can't that that's well i mean this is, this, is, this is mormon so doctrine
4: this is this paragraph is the all or nothing paragraph that mike is already referenced right <laughs> You know, oh. so in other words, that this is this whole thing is a linchpin, and this doesn't start with my reasoning and it causes me to conclude that. <laughs> Rather, it's like without this, there's no this. Without this, there's no this. Without this, there's no God. Mm. That's the, that's his conclusion, right? So,
5: but that's a that's a core Mormon tenet. If there's no God, there's no salvation. There's nothing to argue with that. Like I I don't think that that needs to be. On the down low in 2018, but I guess what you're saying
4: no, Jim, is in the larger equal, context, the yeah. equal the equal sign here started with evolution. Oh, I see. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. if you believe in evolution, equals 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 equals, there is no God. Uh, that's what the, that's what this paragraph is saying, right? If, the, if you, without yeah. the editing, yeah. If, right. if, you just reduce, if you if you x out all the different variables, and you do the whole equation, the chalkboard at the front of it says, if you believe in evolution equal sign there is no god
1: right yeah so if you believe in evolution it all falls apart and that's where byu is like well we believe in evolution and we can't have it all fall apart so we're going to change this
4: so we x out the end of the equation and and and, and I, by the way i don't agree with that equation but anyway right <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what he's saying
1: huh. all right and any any final things to to wrap up um Heresy 2, which is about evolution. Which <laughs> Glenn, took was an hour. So right. Glenn was so right that this is going to take a whole episode. <laughs>
5: well, but there's a lot of stuff
1: in here. I mean, he's calling this a heresy. Yeah. Like the belief in evolution is a heresy that he saw as a threat to yes. b- belief in God. And, and like how more clear could it be that that's a threat than the BYU pulled out, if there is no salvation, there is no God.
3: Well, this is the thing. Our heavenly father and heavenly mother gave physical birth to adam and eve they were, they were they were born they were immortal beings they didn't they didn't evolve from anything they were born as they are and so if we are all descended from them there's no possible way for evolution to exist wait for them to fall they had to fall from a, a position of life and they were born immortal beings from a heavenly mother and heavenly father
5: so by that logic you're saying heavenly mother and heavenly father could also fall no because they were
1: immortal oh oh, they could yeah you're right yeah yeah
5: Yeah. so how come their offspring can fall and be imperfect but i mean if we're going to go literal mike and we're talking they they gave birth to
3: immortal bodies Uh, being exalted it has to do with intelligence and knowledge Uh, so living after a certain manner of Okay, Okay. so Uh, Adam and Eve had not had that intelligence. I think there's,
4: I think there's a a modern doctrine that is, if God were to go against the plan and things like that, He wouldn't be God anymore, right? It doesn't, isn't there something like that? You know, there was, yeah, because it, you know,
3: it's like Judge Dredd. I am the law. (laughs) So, so let me let me let me ask you this, Mike, because (laughs) I remember
1: when when we've had these kind of conversations before, and you're you're drawing a distinction between an exalted being and an immortal being that there's yeah. something like, like an exalted being is immortal with special sauce.
3: And right? an yeah. exalted being has lived and, and lives in, and is a glorified being They they lived. They have a resurrected body that is, uh, that is what, uh, what
1: flows through the veins of, uh, is it, an exalted
3: being, right? Is it, it wait, was, wait, uh, Bob, let me, let me, okay. let me, let me, let me do <laughs> <laughs> it. It's something other than blood. I don't recall exactly what the reference. I know. Okay. what Okay. Glory, what maybe say. glory, right.
1: intelligence, something. So wait, Bob, uh, but what flows through the veins of the offspring of an exalted,
5: exalted parents? Uh, well, just what color is it? That's all I want to know. Is it red or white? <laughs> It's white. It's, it's probably light. I, I don't know. So, but, but so it, it's the process
1: of falling that then changes that substance to what we now have as blood. Well, the, the glory of God is intelligence and
3: Adam and Eve were not intelligent enough to, to be considered.
1: Even when, the when they partook of, of the tree of knowledge yeah. of good and evil, that didn't make them intelligent
3: enough. That, that was a step in intelligence. That they had to take? Yes. But they were told not to. Right. They gained intelligence and knowledge by making a mistake. That's how... But they were supposed us. to.
5: That's how I do it, too. Not through this obedience bullshit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought McConkey said that the only way you can
1: do it is through obedience.
5: Yeah. How do you square that circle? Yeah.
3: Yes. You, but know you have to edit choose that part to be out. obedient through... That's, that's part of the whole plan. You experience and choose to make good choices or mistakes since the first yes,
1: mistake. Okay. Too. I've exhausted my line of questioning, Bob. I'd like to turn the time over to you. <laughs>
5: <laughs> you did a pretty good job of covering it. Right. I just really wanted to know if it's like the, the gooey spirit matter in a, in a non exalted form, but still, but still immortal. And then the blood well,
3: you're getting into the The blood is the corruptible element. The blood is, is, is makes it possible for us to be tempted and once the blood is gone, then that isn't there anymore. Okay, I think Orson, nope. Orson Pratt was the one who wrote the seer. Is
1: that right, John? Yes. Okay. Cause, cause in there he talks about different fruit and th- this may have been, cause, cause Orson Pratt had kind of his own theories on things, right? That Joseph Smith taught and his own spin on stuff. So this may, may have been just one of his, or maybe it was something that he heard from Joseph Smith. I don't know, but that there was telestial fruit, terrestrial fruit and celestial fruit that if you ate any of that fruit, then it would transform your body into that form. And he
3: he might be going into pseudepigrapha because there is
1: this is uh, is the seer. This is, this is what Orson Pratt wrote to the saints in England.
3: Yeah, but I'm wondering if he's drawing upon something I read of a pseudopigraphal book of Adam, where he mm -hmm. was looking for the fruit from the garden. He went back to the angel to ask for fruit from the garden so he could have something to eat because he didn't know how to eat fallen food yet. Mm. The, the, the way
1: I, and I, I'd have to look this up, although I know I'm not going to, but the way that I remember it is that Orson Pratt said that celestial Elohim and his wife came down, partook of terrestrial fruit because the earth was created in a paradisiacal state, not in a celestial state so it was in a, it was in a terrestrial state at the time of the garden of eden and then but the the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was actually a celestial tree that was placed in the middle of a terrestrial garden and ah. so that so that those they they were so, so this kind of lines up with what you were saying about the difference between an exalted body and an immortal body that an exalted body would be their celestial bodies they eat the fruit they change into just immortal bodies um, at a terrestrial paradise level, that's the, the birth of Adam and Eve. And then, um, Adam and Eve partake of the fruit, which sends them down even to a lower level, the celestial level. And then the whole plan of salvation is to bring us back up. That makes huh. perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> I loved this year, man. Brigham Young hated it, but
3: <laughs> I, I own it, but I haven't read it yet.
5: Yeah. Hmm. So are we going to well, push pause or are we going to go for heresy well, three? No,
4: I'm going to click quickly um, uh, channel Randy, and that'd be a Randy whisperer. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Love it. Since, since he wasn't here to be able to say it. And what I just want to say, though, is that given the um, the robust nature of uh organic evolution and yes, it's a theory. That's how science It doesn't works. sound like
1: Randy at all. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> it's
4: not it's not meant to sound I'm not oh, gonna okay. I'm not gonna make an I'm not gonna make the his an accent and everything. <laughs> okay. so, Glenn. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna actually I'm just gonna say what he wants to say. Okay. And, but I'll do it more articulately. <laughs> <laughs> this is what he that's this is what he would have liked to have said.
2: Fuck you. <laughs>
4: given the robust nature of the theory of organic evolution and how really we're way beyond, you know, whether we're deciding that death started at a point at a 6,000 years ago and, and people were plopped into the whole equation of all of the evolution of animals and everything like that before that mm. way past that, that this is a place that if, um, you know, for Mike and for, Bruce Armakaki, if we were to take this as um, what Mormon doctrine actually is, this is a place where Mormon doctrine is falsifiable and proved false. So this is not, this is not actually a thing that we can hold.
5: With true science, John, it's, pro- it's
4: proved false with true science or with false with science. Yeah, it, that's not a real dichotomy. I know.
5: <laughs> that's yeah. makes it so <laughs> awesome. This is a,
4: this is a problem. So this is I'm just I'm just saying that the, if you want to square this circle and still have God and you still want to have any other kind of thing, this isn't a thing that you can hold on to mm-hmm. because this is a falsifiable claim that has been proved false. That's what I'm suggesting. So All right until more science comes you don't out. Have, don't have to agree with me. <laughs> so <laughs> that's I'm channeling Randy in there. I've met it. I've said it. No, it's he'd true. Be mad, he'd be mad at me if we hadn't made this point. <laughs> it's it's a good point, and I'm just
5: messing with Randy by keep by by bringing up this this stupid loophole for believers to be like until it's, it's false this again. Thing
4: about it's this whole thing about whatever like having to make a the, the, like as somehow gravity is a law and evolution is a theory. No. <laughs> <laughs> both, both of them are theories in the scientific sense, and both of them are laws in terms of how life works. Mm-hmm. So, what, whatever you want to say, it's a it's a bad PR that scientists always have, where they they say they make up dumb words for things to make it so that people don't believe them. And this is <laughs> this is because scientists are not good at understanding. Politics and human interaction and all those kind of things—that's mm. um, a, a, a natural thing that we've learned from all of drama, <laughs> you know, in all of the '50s movies. <laughs> the scientists don't know, you know. <laughs> anyway,
1: and, I mean, and Mike, I want to—I want to say that it's not your fault that you believe what you believe. You know, like, <laughs> or that you know what you know. If you're more like Bruce R, <laughs> no, you're you're being you're being faithful to the things that you were taught, and you know you you question and you explore things, but you've got your limits on how far you're willing to go with things, and that's because of how important it is to you and and the faithful piece of it. You know, so I, you know, I, 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 I don't I don't know what the solution is. I, like I, I, I wish that we could get to a point where. We we, people weren't fighting over the literalness of these kinds of stories. And, you know, the, the, the question that BYU asks, can you harmonize these things? I think the answer is yes, you absolutely can harmonize these things by understanding what myth actually is instead of thinking of it as a historical record. Um, and then you find but harmony that has no and the, value. And the meaning instead of we're fighting because these people are saying that we're stupid. So I'm going to fight against them and I'm not going to believe it. Well, these people are stupid. So I'm like, you know, and it's just like the, this finger pointing stuff that I'm, I'm just tired of, but,
4: he said this method has no value right so that's, that's his position right and, But, but no, am saying that is so my <laughs> position and which right. is absolutely contrary to that is that if you believe in something that's falsifiable and has been proved false that odds no value either <laughs> so this is a problem yeah yeah uh, uh,
5: to mike's credit he's 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 putting himself out there with
4: oh, I, I agree.
5: Yeah. Because, because most Mormons wouldn't want to even talk about this, right? Because it's most Mormons live in the, the gray area in between. They don't really know where the myth started and where the quote unquote truth or, or historical record, you know, most Mormons I'm making this up cause I really don't know, but I feel like <laughs> that the average Mormon is like, yeah, there's stuff about the Bible. That's not, historical, but I don't know where the line is or where it started. I'm not a historian, but it's mostly historical. I'll just run with it. And then when you have a John Hamer who points out exactly where things are the way they are, they just don't care. <laughs> that's that's what I've seen mostly. But Mike does care, so
3: well can I tell you something cool that like they, they struggle with like going back to Abraham. But they they found a city called Ebla that had fifteen thousand clay tablets in it. And so they start translating these clay tablets, and it's a lot of money money transactions and commercial transactions. And uh, they found the names of cities on these tablets that they dealt with, that they're trading with. And they had Hazor, Megiddo, Lachish, Jerusalem, Damascus. These are all named in the tablets. And the tablets are dated back to 2500 B.C. And on the tablets, they tie to Genesis chapter 14. Because they name the five cities of the plain, Sodom, Gomorrah, Admon, Simeon, and Bella. I can't remember how to pronounce it right, but Sodom and Gomorrah are named. So that ties it to the time of Abraham, that, that Abraham would have been in that time period of 2500
5: B.C. Or it ties it now to somebody who knew of that time.
3: What's that? Doesn't it just tie it to somebody who might have
5: known of that time? Why does it automatically mean that it's from that time?
3: Or so known they, of that they were, story? They were dating the tablets. They put it to the 3rd millennium B.C. They put it at about 2,500. So that's that's when Sodom and Gomorrah existed because they're listed as cities the city traded with. So if that puts Abraham at that time, uh, an interesting link is that Abraham received the priesthood from Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek was Shem, the Noah's son, who when Abraham was 75, that puts... Melchizedek at four hundred and sixty-five years old, who was Shim, and that ties it to the flood. So you got that tie that these are things that happened, and these are people that were there. But just an interesting thing I ran across as far as tracing this back to real prophets and real people in Genesis.
4: So the So what I'll read in the article here on, on Ebla and the Bible. <laughs> Is that at the beginning of the deciphering of the tablets, Pat made claims about a possible connection between Ebla and the Bible, citing an alleged reference to the tablets to Yahweh, the patriarch Sodom and Gomorrah, and other biblical references. However, much of the initial media excitement about the supposed Eblaite connection with the Bible, based on preliminary guesses and speculation by Panetto and others, is now widely discredited, and the academic consensus is that Ebla, quote, has no bearing on the minor prophets, the historical accuracy of the biblical patriarchs Yahweh worship, or Sodom and Gomorrah. So anyway, so I, so yeah, there, we're always in, encountering different possibilities, and when we're trying to find those kind of things, um, I, I, so I have a completely different understanding than you do, obviously, of how the Pentateuch, how Genesis is put together, and so you're taking all of these numbers from the Book of Generations, which is a source text of the Bible that the redactor used to interlace. Uh, you know, put together in order to in order to create the narrative that we now have that is now Genesis. But those numbers are like the numbers in the uh, Epic of Gilgamesh that are in the Sumerian king lists where people are listing off the thousands of years that ancient people lived, um, you know, in their stories. And they're absolutely identical to what get, ends up getting pushed into the Bible, you know? And so, and they're, and they're not historical. So what
5: was that know. source, John?
4: The Wikipedia, probably I'm reading, I'm reading off of Wikipedia on mm, the Ebla. Ebla biblical controversy, gotcha. but it's heavily referenced. So yeah. it's from anyway, I, no, that's I, good. That's fine.
1: I want to, I, I want to go back to what you said earlier, John, cause, cause I, um, I don't know if you were like, rebuking me when you were saying it's a problem or, or what, but I want to understand what you were saying. Cause I didn't.
4: Okay. I don't know what you meant. <laughs> when
1: <laughs>
5: when, when, when you I, go.
1: when I was talking about, uh, you know, like it's not Mike's fault that he believes it literally, that's the way that he was taught. And so he's just being faithful to that. And then you're like, well, but this is falsifiable and people are believing it is true. And that's a problem. Is that, is that, am I summarizing
5: your point? <laughs> I don't know. That was directed to you. Was it? <sighs>
4: Well, I I don't know. I just don't understand what what you're talking about. I guess I think it is a problem in our society right now where we're at that um, we have, uh, so we don't have a basis for understanding anything anymore. And we definitely have in our social media and every other place where anybody can has an opinion and all, and that's my opinion and your opinion is your opinion. And the general sense of everything is relativism as if everything had the exact same meaning as anything else. And that any person mm-hmm. can say anything. And that has the same kind of value as if, as if you had studied um, Ebelite tablets or the Epic of Gilgamesh and Sumer, ancient Sumerian for 20 years, because no expertise matters anymore. Mm-hmm. Now all it matters is whether or not you have an opinion about anything or you're, or it's strongly held, or you say it on, a YouTube video. Did, did it seem like that's
1: what I was saying? That, that I was taking like a relativist position on? It's okay, Mike, that you believe things that aren't true. <laughs> I
4: don't know. Oh, okay, I'm, not, I'm, I just, not I'm just wondering if, if that was that. Uh, Okay, no, I don't, no, I'm not necessarily saying that you're like some kind of horrible relativist who's destroying society, Glenn. Or I'm not saying that Mike. <laughs> <laughs> <I, I, I laughs> sure sure I'm it. What i do um, say is that, that there is <laughs> expertise that the, uh, that 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 organic evolution is actually a. An amazingly robust, sure. You know, we we would call it a theory or whatever. We could also just simply call it the law of evolution as far as all of rank random people are concerned because they can't understand the difference. Yeah. And so, and so regular people in society don't get it. And so, therefore, we should probably just tell them it's a law, not a theory.
1: Yeah. So, so I, and, I'm, I'm hoping that this becomes the this episode's infinite regression that then spawns, like, a bunch of comments <laughs> on the website from, like, three or four <laughs> people, like, over and over again. Because that was kind of fun. We haven't had that on the website.
4: Yeah, yeah people good. went. People were like, wait a second, <laughs> but if he's infinite, then... <laughs> <laughs> By people, you mean... yeah. Um, <laughs> no, there were lots <laughs> of, me and of people. John
1: and there were three or four people. Windy Way and, <laughs> yeah. and that Gottfried guy. Um, yeah. No, the, the, I, I, what, what I was trying to go for is, is you know, like I feel like everybody is so worked up and defensive, like like right off the bat defensive. And so anytime we're challenged and said that what we believe isn't true or it's stupid, th- instead of being able to actually hear the truth and hear what's right, we, we get defensive and angry. We shut down narrow minded and we fight against it. And, and that's, that's what I'm sick of. That's what I'm tired of. And so like, if there's a way, and I don't know what the solution is a way for everybody to just kind of relax and be okay with Mike not being on the same page with us that, that then at <laughs> some point in a, in a more relaxed state, less defensive, some of these things might seep in and whether it's on Mike's side or whether it's on our side or whatever, where we we get closer to whatever the, the, the truth is in a more relaxed state than like this hyper vigilant defensiveness that comes when we're shaming each other for you know how could you possibly believe something as stupid as the Adam and Eve myth with that's falsified uh, that, that well, sort of thing. So that I, that's well, I, that's where uh, I was coming from with that comment.
4: I know but but my but my counterpoint to that is that unfortunately um, falsifiable Worldviews lead to all sorts of false and harmful conclusions. Sure, and that that has very obvious um, consequences, ramifications, right. structures that are happening very clearly right here.
1: Yeah, and 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 I am exactly on the same page with you that I, I want that to end. <laughs> the question is how.
2: Yeah.
3: Well we're if you just get everybody to deny Christ, then they can. Stop believing in Adam. No, I think
4: I <laughs> no. I, I, I wouldn't say that. But, but Mike, I'm a Christian pastor. I think you'll so we're you may not think you you and I'm for you I'm an apostate Christian pastor, I should think. You <laughs> but can in any it. event, I consider myself to be a Christian. I'm a pastor of a church. So and a restoration church, a church that is descended from Joseph Smith, you know. So so you can But so how know, do you
3: mean, deny Adam and preach Joseph Smith? How does that even how does that even work? Adam is central to everything Joseph thought. How do you deny Adam?
4: So I'm not denying Adam at all. Adam is a very central, sacred story. I have a preached on Adam. I, I, I preached on this on, on Sunday in my sermon. Uh, Adam is not a historical figure. Adam is a story in the Bible. Makes sense to me. <laughs> And a all the story, back the story. to him. But but
1: but what Mike's saying is denying the literalness that Adam actually existed as. The literalness the is denying that deny any that.
4: Meaning? So if you believe, if you are insisting on the literalness, you're denying that there's any meaning. That's my feeling. And so so because you're saying some some random thing happened you know then that then then that has no meaning all kinds of random things happen all the time things happen that doesn't matter what impo- what's important is what is the underlying meaning and that has always been what's the what's the critical thing nobody was interested in literal history like this until the last 2 or 300 years there was nobody right. in throughout like Christ isn't worried about anything jesus i mean the historical jesus well, well,
3: That's was why about this. that's why there was a restoration <laughs>
4: Oh, the historical Jesus, I'm saying, wasn't interested in in this kind of history. Nobody had this sense of history. It's an entirely modern phenomenon, you know? So
5: What what if we try a different tactic? Just curious, Mike, what if I were to say the reason I don't believe in Adam as a historical figure is because then it denies the historical nature of my grandfather who passed away but who i interacted with in real life so if you're saying that i have to believe in adam in the same way that i believe in my grandfather that's kind of offensive to the memory of my grandfather because he really existed
3: okay, uh, let's try this okay on the Mount of transfiguration christ received the Melchizedek priesthood do you believe that
1: me? <laughs> yes, yes, John. No, John. Absolutely. Like not. Be- believing that that literally happened or that that's no, a story the, that the exists? Of,
4: yeah, the Mount of Transfiguration is probably a story that the author of the Gospel of Mark created. There was no Melchizedek priesthood. Melchizedek priesthood is a misreading that Joseph Smith and other people had in the 18, early 1830s, 1832, 1833, when they misread the gospel, I'm sorry, the epistle to the Hebrews. It's very clear what, what it's meant in the epistle to Hebrews about what priesthood after the order of Melchizedek is, which is to say that Jesus is the priest after the order of Melchizedek, and that's why it no longer is required that we need a high priest. So they so their understanding of...
3: So they're, they're saying there was a Melchizedek
4: order. Yeah, which is frankly false. So their understanding, what the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek was, it's mentioned one time in the Psalms, and what that means is probably that's what kings, who were the kings of Judah, were probably uh, ordained in and, and had a particular ritual when they were crowned king. And so then they are saying, you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, but other, that but you are anointed king to, to Jesus. And Melchizedek is just whatever Hebrew for righteous king and he's not a historical figure, it's not a person who existed, and there isn't a special separate priesthood. It's a misunderstanding of what the ancient priesthood was like. Who who
3: did Abraham pay tithes to?
4: Abraham is not a historical figure. He did (laughs) not pay tithes to Melchizedek. That isn't a story that got compounded. There's two different stories in Genesis that got put together uh, in there, and Abraham Anyway, it's where's part the of starting the story.
5: where's the where's the starting point for history? Just so we can level set, John. For you, what's the in in biblical terms? What what's the first historical?
4: Truly, in Mike, uh, the Bible starts to become historical around the time of King Hezekiah. So, which is to say, about let's say two or three generations before the destruction of Jerusalem in the first temple period. And okay. so, that's where we start to get historical stuff, and it starts to become. Um, verifiable and it's history but earlier things like a, like the story, Abraham Abraham is not a historical figure Melchizedek is certainly not a historical figure So you guys don't use the Pearl of Great Price or The Pearl of Great Price is a pamphlet created in England in 1867 or something like that that was then canonized by the LDS Church in Utah in the 1880s so obviously it's not part of our tradition since Brigham Young and all of his apostates created it <laughs> Hmm. So no.
3: <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So you guys don't of, don't get anything out of the times and seasons, and say don't.
4: Yeah, so throat. So like stories. you say, the Book of Abraham was published in the times and seasons, but it has been canonized.
5: But I, I, still just want to know if Mike thinks that Adam exists. Like he knows that I exist. Is it really that literal? Do you think? Yes. No question. Hmm. No question at all. Like. Yeah no no question but Adam you, was uh, I guess you haven't seen me you've heard my voice though and you haven't heard Adam's voice or not that I know of
4: <laughs> but he knows i right? Adam's voice and I know and I can say also that there is absolutely there's a 0% chance that Adam was a historical figure it's not it's not a it's not a possibility or whatever this is a situation in history where we know that that's not Adam especially we know that that's not never
5: history. say never
4: no we, we know
5: <laughs> okay all right uh, I'll give Mike the 0.01 percent chance. I, I, I know it's big than me, but really, really, Bob, you've got you've got 0.01 percent doubt that I'd be a real person. I don't know that I'm gonna. You don't come on. on the dotted line. No,
1: come uh, on, <laughs> I mean, for as much as you like to invent numbers, even that one can't. You don't be like that one accurate. <laughs>
3: <laughs> now, 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 Bob, take that mustard seed and allow it to grow. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. See, see what you've done.
5: <laughs> that backfired. <laughs> this, this
1: is this is the Jim Carrey Dumb and Dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance?
2: <laughs> oh.
3: All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Mike. Hey, I, I'd be happy to come back for the rest of them if you want me. Okay. Cool.
1: Yeah. We'll we'll we'll, we'll talk about it behind your back and see if we want you or not.
3: Oh gosh. That's not nice. <laughs> no. I don't know that I had a lot to add to this one. No, of
0: course you did, you did. You
1: did, oh, my did. gosh. No, like the, the 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 thing like there 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 are a lot of things that I've always admired about you, Mike. And you're 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 unflappable, you're you're true to your beliefs, and you 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 are so well read into some of the most arcane sources of Mormon <laughs> I, I can't say I theology here John tells me there's no Mormon theology, but like doctrine, <laughs> history, doctrine. You know, like you come up with this this stuff that um, I just love. I love hearing, and, and you you had like three or four of those little nuggets in this one too. So, oh, i good. Happy. I'm glad. I'm happy. You just let me know, and
3: I'd be happy. To I love defending Bruce.
0: Hi, this is Emily from Tacoma, Washington, and I like to listen to Infants on Thrones while preparing lectures on human sexuality or otherwise enjoying the perks of the Ph.D. degree my church leaders told me I should never aspire to. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer?
1: i to In on Thrones! In